Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. What's up, family? So good to see you again for another service. We're so honored that you're with us on this glorious Sunday morning. Man, worship was so good, so awesome this morning. Um, I'm so excited today to get into the Word of God. Uh, If you're a first-time visitor, you're visiting with us in our online community for the first time, we just want to say welcome. We're so glad, so honored, so appreciative that you've come uh, to worship with us in our online community. To all of my outpouring family, man, I, I miss you guys so much. Uh, I so appreciate you guys and your faithfulness throughout this time to still come, to still meet online, to still engage with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so I'm praying that, man, when this is all over, we can have one big family reunion. But until then, I want to encourage you to stick with Jesus. I want to encourage you to stay in community, even if that's a Zoom call, if it's life group on Zoom, uh, if it's just reaching out to your friends that you have not seen, try to stay connected with each other and continue to be the body of Christ that God has called us to. Well, today, man, we're journeying right along through 1 Peter. Once again, we get to the end of the third chapter on today. So if you've got a Bible with you, I hope that you have a Bible. I want you to grab it and I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. And we're continuing in our Living on Mission series. But I, I hope today is a blessing for you as much as it was a blessing for me as I prepared for this message. And so if you've got a Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22, I want to challenge you to do something. As you're sitting there, uh, with your uh, computer in front of you, your laptop in front of you, or if you're on your phone, I, I want to challenge you this morning to read along with me as if you're here in the sanctuary with me. I want us to all read together because we grow by reading God's word. We stay engaged by reading God's word. And so I want to uh, invite you to read aloud with me right where you are. If you got some family members in the room with you, got some roommates, some classmates, whoever is with you today, invite them to come over and read with you. Invite them to come over and, and share in God's word and share worship with you on this morning. First Peter chapter three, verses 13 through 22. And it says this, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, 
and powers subject to him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today, God. We honor you and we glorify you today, God. Thank you for the opportunity to worship. God, thank you that we can gather around your word. Lord, thank you, Father, that, that the spirit of God will meet us today as we sit and we are around our electronic devices. F Father, I pray that you will meet us in a special way today, Father. I pray that your people will be united in the spirit today. So, Father, let us engage with your word. Let us engage with each other today, Father. God, God we thank you, Father, that you still speak through your word, that your word is just as relevant today as it was when it was written, Father. And so, Lord, we thank you that we serve a God that is not dead, but that is alive. And so, Father, I pray that you would work on our hearts today, God, that you would transform our minds today, God, that, that, that Father, you would make us more like you today, God. I pray ultimately, Lord, out of everything that is said, everything that is done, I pray that at the end of the day, Jesus would be glorified. I pray that Jesus' name would be made great. And so, Father, I just pray today that you get all the glory, that you get all the honor. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And the people said, Amen. Well, my sermon title this morning is Faith That's Not Afraid. Faith That's Not Afraid. Well, if you have been with us for a few weeks, you know that the Apostle Peter is writing to Christians that he refers to as exiles. They are exiles in a world that is hostile to what they believe. They are not exiles because of geographical location per se, but they are exiles because they've made a decision to follow Jesus, that they've made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of their lives. And so what they have now embraced as a faith is somehow hostile to the world and culture in which they find themselves. And so for them, they are suffering. They, they are persecuted for what they believe. There is a chance that because of what they believe, they could lose their life. But even if they don't lose their life because of what they believe, they could lose their social standing. They could lose their popularity. They could lose their place in society because what they believe is so contrary and so uncommon to the religion of their day. And so because they are facing this type of persecution, he wants to write to them to encourage them to keep the faith to stay rooted and grounded in what they committed their lives to, that there is a reward waiting for them if they can endure to the end, that at the end it will be all worth it. But in the meantime, he wants to do another thing that I think we all can benefit from, that is he wants to change and give them a right perspective. Part of our problem in the way we handle things is that oftentimes we don't have the right perspective, that we have not completely allowed God to renew and transform our minds. And so he wants to do that for them. He wants them to have the right perspective on suffering. Oftentimes, how we suffer and how we handle suffering, how we handle misfortune is not just about what happens to us, but how we perceive what happens to us. I want to read you a quote from a famous Christian apologist by the name of C.S. Lewis. And he said this years ago, but I think it speaks volumes to where we are today. And here's what he says. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it 
I see everything else. And so C.S. Lewis has called us to have a right perspective because how we view God will shape how we handle what happens to us. When my worldview is shaped by my faith, I view the good and the bad through the same lens. When things are good, I know they are good and are happening to me, not because I'm good, not because I'm smart, not because I've done the right things or put myself in the right position, but I know that things are happening for me and things are good because God is good. That all things in my life that are happening that are good are not good because of me, but they are happening because God is good and God wants me to use the good things that happen in my life to be a reflector of his glory and point people back to him. But also the flip side of that is this, that we must have a theology that handles not only the good stuff happening to us, that, that God doesn't just want us to have our best life now, that God doesn't just want us to have everything that we hope for and wish for and pray for, but, but we must have a theology that, that can handle the good and the bad because if God is sovereign over what's good in your life, God is also sovereign over what's bad in your life. And so we must understand that, 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 that all good things that happen serve a purpose, but also what ultimately happens to me that may be a misfortune in my life, like a job loss or loss of money, that's not necessarily a deterrent from God being good. God can still use those bad circumstances and get the glory of that out of that too, but it depends on how we perceive it and how we handle it. And so we must understand that, that God is not just a God that gives favor for good stuff, but God sometimes will use unfortunate events to get our attention and bring us back to him ultimately. And so we can know that all things work, for, work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so this serves as an encouragement for them to keep living out their faith in the midst of hard times and hard circumstances. This is an encouragement to do the right thing when dealing with difficult circumstances, but also when dealing with difficult people. And so this is a call for Christians to pursue good works and be a blessing to a world that is hostile to what you believe about God. And so for, for us, I, I want to speak to a few of us Christians who, since everything has gone about in, in February and March, who've been struggling with the idea of things not being normal, that have been struggling about what is happening around us, this is not the time for you to take your foot off the gas pedal in your relationship with God. This is not the time for you to play lazy Christian. This is not the time for you to take a break, but this is not the time for us to cower or draw back. This is the time for us to live out our faith in a world that is waiting on a vaccine, waiting on the economy to get better, waiting on the job market to improve, waiting for the stock market to return. We have the antidote for all of that fear and all of that anxiety, and his name is Jesus. I, I'm, I'm asking a question today. Where is all that December can't wait for 2020 to come energy at now? Well, where is all that energy that you had that said, I can't wait for 2020? Well, where is all the energy that you are waiting for it to be your year? This is my year for breakthrough. I'm ready to leave 2019 behind. I'm ready for 2020. Breaking news, it's not your year. Last year was not your year. The year before that is not your year. And this year ain't your year. It's God's year and every year after that. And so, just like last year, God is trying to get your attention and let you know that this ain't about you. This is time not for God to get on your agenda, but it's time for us as believers to stand up and get on God's agenda. It is time for all of us to live on mission. Wow. And so this is the time for us to press in to a world 
and show off the glory of Christ and show off the beauty, the beauty of the gospel with not without fear. Here's what he says in verse 13. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? Who, who will harm you? You know, there's a Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 7 says this. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to live at peace with him. And so he's saying that if you are in pursuit of doing good, if you are in pursuit of doing the right thing, you decrease the chances of drama coming to your life. You decrease the chances of hostility coming to your life. However, the caveat is this, that even sometimes when you do the right thing, you'll get the wrong outcome. That, that in our theology, we must understand that sometimes bad things happen to good people. And so he's saying this, no matter what harm comes your way for believing and standing your ground in your faith, no matter what happens, don't think that God has abandoned you if you find yourself in an unfavorable circumstance. Don't think that God has left you. Don't think that God has, has, has forgotten about you. But ultimately, we need to know that our suffering is not all bad. Our suffering actually allows us to follow the path of Jesus. If you want to walk the steps that Jesus walked, then the path to his glory was through suffering. And so, present suffering for us isn't a sign of God's displeasure or some sign of punishment, especially if we've been doing what's right. It's actually an indication that God is with you. He says, he says, don't, don't, don't fear because you are blessed. Don't fear because you are blessed. It doesn't matter how hard your life is right now. If you got Jesus, you got the most important thing. You are blessed. God will ultimately reward our faithfulness. Here's what he says. You're blessed. But then he puts something in verse 14 and he draws from Old Testament Israel in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. He draws from Isaiah 8 and here's what he says. He says, don't fear them or be intimidated. Peter's looking back to a time in Israel's history, in the history of the people of God in the Old Testament where Judah thought that there were surrounding nations that were making an alliance to come against them. They, they feared that they were going to be run down. They feared that their worst fears were actually going to come to pass. They were fearing that, that, that things were not going to work out for them. And the prophet Isaiah spoke and Peter just takes the words from Isaiah. And so Isaiah is essentially ghostwriting for Peter in this text. And here's what Isaiah said. He says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. He will be be a sanctuary. And if you don't understand any of that, here's what Peter is trying to convey and what Isaiah was conveying to his people. If God be for you, who could be against you? And so this is a call for us to trust God with whatever aspect of our life, with whatever aspect of our life that we have no control over. Newsflash, that's your whole life. You don't have control over anything. And so there's no need for you to fear. There's no need for you to fear what man can do to you. There's no need for you to fear what will happen if you live your faith out boldly. There's nothing that you should fear for not being afraid that you love Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. Luke, 20, Luke 12, verses 4 through 5. These are the words of Jesus. Luke 12, 4 through 5. Jesus said this, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. 
Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. And he's saying this, man might can kill your body. But only God can destroy the soul and send the soul to hell. And so when he calls us to fear, the right kind of fear is the fear of the Lord. When he says fear, he doesn't mean being afraid or terrified of God. But biblical fear is honor, reverence for God, humility towards God, that you look to God in awe, that you have a holy fear of the Lord. The Bible says that the beginning, fear is the big fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so when we have this fear of the Lord, a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord, we honor and trust God so much that it overrides the temptation to fear what other people can say to us and what other people can do to us. And so our trust in God needs to be so strong that we look crazy to the world. And it's ultimately a call for us to have courage and boldness. It's a call for us to live fearlessly because God is with us. And so we, we, we fear, naturally we fear with our faith that we'll be considered closed-minded and intolerant or foolish or ignorant. We, we fear shame. We, we, we don't, we don't want to be embarrassed by our family and our friends. But do you know something? The biggest threat to Christians living out the Great Commission isn't fear of people. It's lack of the fear of God. Let me say that again. The biggest threat to Christians living out the Great Commission is not the fear of people, but it's the lack of the fear of God. Man, I want to show you something. The book of Acts, how the church exploded. There was something in the characteristic of this church that, they, that, they, that caused them to explode. Here's what it says in Acts 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. They lived out their faith. Their faith and their fear of God over, was overriding any fear that they had of what could happen to them, and they faced real persecution. They could actually die for believing what they believed. We get offended because we don't want somebody to say something negative about us under a post that we make on social media. And so, so, that, so we don't really deal with the hard persecution like they did, but we cower unto stuff that is much less in our culture. And God is calling us to be bold about what we believe. People need to see the glory of God in your life. People need you to be bold about what you believe in. And so he's calling them to have belief and courage in an age of good old-fashioned skepticism. And so he wants them to have courage that is based on a certain type of hope. You know, the hope that we have in God is, it's not just a theoretical hope. It, it, it's, it, it's not just something that is intellectual, although it is that. But this is a call for us 
to trust in God with our hearts. This is not just what I, I heard about God and what I studied about God, but this is having it infused in my heart into the sacred space of my heart that my life becomes proof that I trust in God. Does your life prove in this current season that you trust God? My, my life is evidence. It's not a private event that happens and only I and God know about it, but, but it, it encompasses all of me that it comes out in my interaction with the world. What happens within our heart will be eventually displayed to everybody, especially when suffering happens. And so right now, I think the current climate is only revealing what we really felt about God. And quite honestly, what I've learned in these past couple weeks is that some of us use the church as a crutch in our relationship with God. If your relationship with God has faltered because you can't enter into the building, then maybe you never had a real relationship with him in the first place. The building was never the church. The church was the people of God who already had God living on the inside of them. And so we come into the church. We're coming together as a body of believers. It don't matter if we meet outside or we meet in the building. We come here because we already have God on the inside of our hearts. We ain't waiting for a preacher to give it to us, for a praise team to sing it into us. We ain't waiting for some greeters to greet it into us. We already have it. And so my question this morning is, do you still have hope in God in the midst of uncertainty about your job? Do, do you still hope in him when your finances are falling off a little bit, when you lost a little income? Do you still have hope in God because now you and your spouse is in the house together and y'all about to drive each other crazy? Do you still have hope in God? Do you still have hope about the future in the midst of this uncertainty. And this is why it's so important to know what you believe and why you believe it. The world is watching us and wanting to know not only is God real, but is he real and is he good? Is he still a good God when you don't get everything on your 2020 wish list? Is he still a good God when your relationship status does not change? Is he still good if you lose your job? Is he still good if you've been furloughed? Is he still good when your income has decreased? Is God still good? And the world wants to know. So our lives and our outlook should communicate that God is and he is good. It should prompt other people to ask us about our faith and why we have hope. So here's what it says. Verses 15 through 16. This is one of the most famous verses in the New Testament because it's where we ground the study of apologetics. Here's what it says in verses 15 through 16. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for reason for the hope that is in you. Here's how to do that. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Some of your Bibles say humility. Keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Our hope in God is not grounded in just some experience that we had, but it's actually grounded in the truth. He said to be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Not a feeling, but a reason. Oftentimes people ask us about our faith, a reason for, we, for why we have hope. We give them a feeling that we had. Well, all I know is I walked into church one morning and 
I started shaking and I rolled on the ground. And if you rolled on the ground, if you started shaking, I don't want to deny you that experience that you had in front of the whole church. Bless your heart for having that experience. But after that, what do you believe? Is it grounded in your experience? It can't be grounded in, well, I know what God did for me. I was broke and God gave me some money. I had a check come in the mail. That's good. But how is that going to work to somebody that's got more money than you and more successful than you in the world's eyes. They don't need your God, your God that had to give you a check to get out of mess when they already got a bank account full of money. And so oftentimes we can't tell people just some story, but it has to be grounded in the truth. I'm not saying don't use your testimony. Please use your testimony, but it's also got to be grounded in the reality of the truth of something that actually happened that we can prove. And so we should be able to communicate the reason for our hope. We should be able to tell others what we believe about God. We should be able to tell somebody why we believe God and what we believe about God. It doesn't start with you. It starts with God. Our hope is grounded in this one simple principle that I'm going to give you this morning. Not even a principle, an event. Our hope is grounded in the fact that Jesus was resurrected. That settled all arguments. His victory on the cross and his resurrection cemented his claim as God. The resurrection was the most important event in human history. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. If the resurrection didn't happen, then you and I might as well pack it up and go home and do what everybody else is doing. And so the most important thing about our faith is that our God is not dead, but he's alive. He's been raised. He's been raised. And so for us, some of us, that don't mean a lot because it ain't something that we can go to the bank and check. And, and a check we can cash. It's not something that we can go and show off to our friends. It's not some new relationship that we can uh, uh, bring to everybody on social media and prove that we got a relationship with God. And so oftentimes... We don't want to hear preaching about the cross in Christ. And Paul is like, I, I just came to preach to you Christ and him crucified. But we'd rather hear messages about goals. We want job goals, relationship goals. Well, that don't mean nothing because relationships can fall apart. Your job can be lost. So, so all of that stuff is nice. Get it how you live. But if your faith is only grounded in stuff, good stuff that can happen to you, then you ain't got a faith at all because what happens when that stuff falls apart? You need something more, more solid like the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus actually got out of the grave, that changes everything. It changes everything if he fulfilled all of the things that the prophets prophesied about the coming Messiah. It changes our whole outlook. If that is in fact what happened, then everything else he said is actually true. And that means that we must surrender our lives to it. And so, that if he got out of the grave and I trust him, then I know that I can get out of the grave too. That, that I had been raised with him when I put my hope in the finished work of Jesus. That this life is not all that there is, but this, this hope that I have that is in Jesus extends beyond this life. That I have an eternal hope and the resurrection has made that possible. It means that if I've surrendered to Jesus, then my hope is not baseless. My hope is not aimless. My hope is certain. I know that death is not final and that there is life after death. Thank you, Biggie. There is life after death in Christ Jesus. So this is good news. This is great news. And people are now more receptive to hear your message about Jesus than they ever been before. 
People are looking for hope anywhere. People are looking for hope on CNN. People are looking for hope from the president. People are looking for hope from the CDC. People are looking for hope from the federal treasury. People are looking for hope from the stock market. People are looking for hope from their job, from their boss. But our hope, the real hope is in Jesus. And for you not to share the good news is to cherish your comfort more than you love people. And some of us do cherish our comfort more than we love people. But this is a call for us to prepare. This is a call for us to know what we believe. So many of us can tell people who our favorite preacher is, but we can't tell no, nobody anything about Jesus. We can name off our favorite preacher, but we don't know anything about Jesus. And we say, well, as long as they say Jesus, as long as uh, they say they believe Jesus, I guess everything is okay. But the question then becomes, well, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Muslims believe Jesus exists too. Mormons believe in Jesus. Jehovah's Witness believe in Jesus. The difference is Muslims believe Jesus was a great prophet, but they don't believe that he was God's son. That don't agree with your Jesus. Mormons believe in Jesus. Yeah, they believe he is Jesus. They believe Jesus and Lucifer were brothers. And they also believe that God and Mary had a sexual relationship to create Jesus. Is that the same Jesus and the same doctrine that you ascribe to? They also believe that salvation is by work, by doing a whole bunch of other stuff. Jehovah's Witness believe in Jesus. They just believe that the Archangel, Mike, Archangel Michael is now Jesus, and they never believe that Jesus fully resurrected from the grave, that he didn't have a bodily resurrection. But do you know what you believe about Jesus is important? Because it's not all the same. We must know what we believe about the one who died for us. We got to get past saying, well, I just know what he did for me. Most Christians think still that we're saved by our works. But I want to give you the reason that you have hope. I want to give you the reason that you are believing that you're a Christian. Because it's not based on what you can do. It's based on what has already been done. Here's what it says, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. And never forget the scripture. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Remember, that is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Salvation as a believer is free and full because of the finished work of Jesus. We don't trust in the flesh. We trust in the work that was done for us by Christ Jesus. And that is the reason that we can tell people to have hope. Because there is more to this life than what we see now. That there is an eternal life and eternal hope. And so we should go around telling every unbeliever about this good news. That you don't have to hope in yourself. That your salvation doesn't have to be in doubt or predicated upon how much good behavior that you can muster up in your own strength. But we are saved by grace. In Christ Jesus. Verses 16 through 17 says this, yet do this, communicate this message, but there's a way to go about it. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's not just what you say. But how you say it, more important than that, it's not also just what you say, it's how you live out what you say. And so our, our proclamation of the gospel has to be in word, but it has to be in life as well. 
We can't claim to have a hope in the gospel, but live like those who have no hope. But we should do this with gentleness and respect. God ain't calling us to go and irritate everybody on our job. He's called us to winsomely win people over with grace and truth at the same time. Some of us love to debate more than we like to share the truth about the gospel. Even a starving person would be reluctant to eat food from somebody that throws it at them. So we can be kind to people that disagree with us. We can still respect people whose lifestyle may lead to destruction. We can still treat people that we disagree with as image bearers, people that are made in God's image. We can still treat all people with dignity. And that comes from a relationship with God. Our awareness of God's presence in our life won't allow us to treat people in a mean and and revengeful type of manner. So no matter how much people disagree with us, they should walk away saying, I don't believe nothing they just said. Man knows we're the most loving people I've ever encountered in my life. Ultimately, we know that at the end of the day, that those that persecuted and oppressed Christians will be put to shame. God will have the last word at the day of judgment. Unbelievers will realize that they were unmistaken, that they were mistaken all along. In the meantime, our suffering should be seen as a blessing because we get to take the same path that Jesus took. And that path is this. And he gives us synopsis of the gospel here in verse 18. It says, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And so even Jesus, his suffering served a purpose. And this is good news. His undeserved and unjust suffering brought us to God. He removed the hostility that our sin created. He stood in our place, took on our sin. We received his righteousness. He died the death we should have died. Three days later, the spirit of God raised Jesus from death to life. He secured our victory over every ounce of wickedness, evil powers, authorities, every demonic force, and he defeated death here self. That's beautiful. That's good news. That no matter what happens to me in this life, that I'm raised with Jesus because Jesus defeated death itself. So all that means for us is that we have no need to fear in this life. Every pain that we suffer in this life will be short-lived. It is temporary. We know how the story ends. We know that God has the last word. We know the ending already has been written. We know that our suffering is really just a pathway to victory. Here's what it says in Revelation 21, 4 through 5. Revelation 21, 4 through 5. This is so comforting. This is so comforting for everybody that is struggling, for everybody that is doubting God, for everybody that is suffering with grief and loss. Let this serve as encouragement to you. Revelation 21, four through five. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. That's so good. Because the previous things have passed away, then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. That is so beautiful that at some point when Jesus comes back, that everything that has happened to us, 
every wrong turn, every mistake, every sickness, every disease, every cancer, every flu, every strand of flu, every heart disease, every kidney, kidney failure, every dysfunction of our lives, everything will be made right. And the joy that we will feel at his coming will make the pain pale in comparison. But we got to hold on. We got to hold on to the end. And we preach this good news until he returns. Christians trip me out. Always wondering. And I'm done. Always wondering. What's God's purpose for my life? What is my destiny? Where, where should I move? Where, where should I work? Do you know that when God saved you, he saved you for himself? That the purpose that you got when you became a believer is the same purpose we all have. That he calls us ministers of reconciliation. That through our words and through our life, we are called to reconcile a lost world back to God. That we, that we, we are a, a chosen people, a remnant of people that he is using to proclaim the truth. And although we may feel like a minority at times and we feel like we are by ourselves and we're preaching a message that no one wants to hear, that, that, that no one wants to believe, it'll all be worth it. You know, there's an interesting thing at the end of this passage in verses 19 through 22, where he references Noah and he references baptism. And he parallels the journey of Noah and the journey of the exiles that he's writing to, which also means it is our journey. He parallels it to Noah and the story of the flood. And if you've never read that before, I encourage you to go back and read Genesis chapter 7. It's a beautiful story. And so he makes this parallel because Noah is a righteous man living in the midst of a wicked generation. For that, you can read Genesis chapter 6. But God says, I can't take this foolishness no more. And so God, yes, God. This is why you have to have a theology that includes good and bad. God makes a decision to do away with all evil. But he spares a remnant. And he tells Noah, build me an ark. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And Noah is to tell people about what is happening. And Noah is to prepare an ark. Unfortunately, not everybody listened to Noah. Noah was witnessing to those around him and building the ark. They had time to listen to his message. Noah realized that judgment was on the way. And Noah was preaching while God was practicing patience. And this parallels our life because we're called to be just like Noah. That, that we are the righteous in the midst of a wicked world. That, that we're called to prepare them. We're called to be righteous. Noah witnessed boldly the, the same way we should obey God, no matter how strange it may seem. You don't think people thought that Noah was crazy? Yeah, right. God ain't about to wipe this thing out. 
But Noah had enough boldness and faith to do what God told him, even when he looked crazy to other people. Noah was willing to look like a fool in the present in order to be made right in the future. Noah prepared. Noah was preparing. Noah knew judgment was coming the same way we know that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And Noah preached while God practiced patience the same way that we preach now, but God, through his mercy, waits for people to respond. He sends us out into a lost world, but he practices patience by giving them time to repent. Noah was saved with seven other people. Seven other people. Same way that when Jesus comes back, there will be a righteous remnant that he will save, that will be saved at his return. But we've been commissioned to call people to prepare. I don't care how old you are, I care if you're 90 years old, you still have a purpose that God has given you. I don't care if you 70, 60, 50, 40, 30, if you're in your 20s and think you're too cool for school, God expects you to preach, to live the gospel in front of a lost world. And some of us, as opposed to seeing where God is in this, have drawn back. Our passion for God ain't the same. Our fervor and our zeal is not the same. Man, if I just had enough time, I'd read my Bible. You got all the time, and you filled up all the extra time with more nonsense. Maybe this is our time as believers to prepare and to proclaim. Man, we tell people about everything. We tell people about who did our hair. We tell people about where we got our clothes from. We tell people about good restaurants we ate at. We tell people about different people we've met and how great they are and how smart they are and how wonderful they are. We post on social media about everything except for Jesus. Oh, we love us a good social story. Oh, we love to get on some calls. But are you as eager to get on the calls of Christ? Are, are you as eager for God to have as many likes as you want on your page? And I'm not condemning you, but this is to encourage you that this is not the time to draw back, but this is the time to press forward. The gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. Period. With a T on the end. And so maybe we need to stop saying next year is going to be my year and get the revelation that none of these years have ever been your year, good or bad. But every year is God's year. 
And that maybe we should stop consuming ourselves with ourselves, but consume ourselves with the one that called us. So, if you are hearing this today, you're a believer, I want to encourage you to press forward into God. Let your faith be known by your words and by your life. If you're not a believer, I want to let you know that you still have time, that if you are watching this today, that you are watching this on purpose, don't let the message of the gospel harden your heart further and drive you further away from God. But maybe it's time for you to surrender and stop trying to make God a mathematical equation. I would want to serve a God that's just as smart as I am. If me and God have the same intellect, then we're all in trouble. But I love that some secret things are to the Lord only. I, I, I love that I serve a God that knows all, that sees all. I, I love to know that, that Jesus didn't just die for me and that he was raised for me, but I love that he sits at the right hand of the Father. I love serving a God that is sovereign and in control. And when I know that he's in control, I can have faith without fear. So that's you today. You're watching and you heard the gospel message that, that salvation is not by works, but it's by trusting in the finished work of Christ. That Jesus was a real man that lived a real life that died on a Roman cross. First Corinthians 15 tells us that over 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus at one time. That 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 is enough to prove anything in a court of law. That historian after historian writes about Jesus. That that's not deniable. What people deny is that if he was God. Well, if he was resurrected, that settles everything. So now that you have that, what are you going to do about it? This is not a call for you to be perfect because you won't be. But it's a call to say that you will never be right on your own power, your own merit. But righteousness comes through Christ Jesus. That is you today. The Holy Spirit is touching your heart. He's calling you to turn from your old life and put your trust and faith and hope in Jesus. How come when I get it together, you'll never get it together? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. None of us have it all together. But we serve a perfect Savior. If that's you and you're watching us online, there, there's a button if you're watching this live that you can click on this button. It says, that I, I want to surrender. I, I want to put my trust in Jesus. You can click on the button. We had people last week who gave their life to Christ online. And I believe that God can save you right where you are. You don't have to be in a church building. God can save you right where you are. That's you. One of our people, if you want to send us a private message, we can pray for you. We can reach out to you and no one will know. We, we want to walk with you. That's you. You can click the button. But, I, but I'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that your grace is sufficient. We thank you that you are good, that you are great, that you are awesome. And so, Father, I pray that we are encouraged today, that we are full, that our spirits are full, that, that we can now have faith without being afraid. And so, Father, I thank you that we've been called to live on mission, that, that we are no longer making excuses. But, Father, we are living in the reality that you've called us and that you 
want to use us for your purposes and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, Amen. Be blessed. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.